Daddy? You're damn right I'm your daddy. Dad. That's how dad did it. Oh, he's dad. Oh, his father. I am your father. Daddy, daddy. Daddy, can I try? Daddy. 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 Are you my daddy? What's up, everybody? This is Fu Manchu. It's your man, Mike Mays. What's up, guys? We are the Dadaholics, and today we have a special guest. Uh, his name is Dr. Gibson. Uh, give it up for Dr. Gibson. What's up, folks? How's everybody? Well, thank you, Dr. Gibson, for giving us a chance to uh, talk. Um, we're going to do a little quick icebreaker. So... Dr. Gibson, if you can please give us, uh, tell us who you are, principal of what school, and uh, a little all ba- that little stuff. background. little background. <clears throat> gotcha. I'm Jamel Gibson, uh, principal at Fairfield Middle School in, in Rico County, uh, VA. Okay. Uh, born, born and raised in, in the bricks in, in the city of New York. Uh, lived in Manhattan, lived in Brooklyn, lived in Queens. I guess you'd say raised in Hempstead, Long Island. Oh, you like Bismarck. Wherever you stayed, you put your hat was your home. Huh? <laughs> right, right, right. You know what's funny? We used to see Biz coming to Blimpies in Hempstead. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you laid your hat was your home. So I went to high school in, in Hempstead, Long Island. Um, and, you know, I grew up in the time where crack was real big, so... Walking to school over the crack. No, they had crack in the suburbs? Oh, just, <laughs> just <Hey>. checking. <laughs> they re- reached all the way out there. All the way out there, Long Island? The yeah, oh, okay. The Sixth yeah, Borough? Got it. it. <laughs> so I, knew, I knew what inner city was. Because, uh, all of that kind of stuff. Grandmother was still in Queens. Okay. My other grandmother was still on the Lower East Side. Mm. So I, I knew what all of that was. How long you been in VA? Uh, I guess I've been in VA for about 14 years now. Oh, okay. So you're not even from yeah. New York anymore. You're from VA. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Oh, yeah, you once from Brooklyn, Stop you're always it. from Brooklyn. <laughs> um, were you a teacher before you were a principal? Yeah, so actually I started out as uh, a teacher assistant in uh, Hempstead Public Schools in Hempstead, Long Island. Okay. And um, then when I went out to VA, I got into teaching um and i was in norfolk public schools as a music teacher and decided i wanted to take this on to the next level so um i've been in newport news um and i've been in danbury connecticut as principal i jumped back up top for a second and then Uh i came back on to va got it so um with the schools i know you said you you started out in hempstead what, when was that? And I don't mean to, I don't want to kind of date you, but I'm just I also want to talk about the difference between you know the t- the generations, you know, from when you started as a uh, teacher's assistant to now, where now it's it's of course as we know it's different. Absolutely, yeah. I started out in Hempstead in '99, um, fresh out of college, um, got married, and uh, went to work for uh, Hempstead Public Schools, which was the urban city, although uh, Long Island is considered the suburbs in the city, Hempstead was like the sixth borough, as far as I'm concerned, you know, so. So uh, it was tough. Yeah, it was, it was a challenge in school districts. Still is, they still have their challenges. Perfect. But challenges doesn't mean that they have um, dumb kids, very bright kids, very smart kids, just challenging circumstances around Right. Mm. Sounds like the neighborhood. It was product of the environment, the neighborhood. That's what it sounds like. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And then when you went up to Connecticut at one point, you right. said you were a principal then, correct? Yeah. That was my first principalship in Danbury, Connecticut, uh, at a school called Shelter Rock. Okay. And that sounds like a tough school. <laughs> <laughs> Shelter and Rock. What Shelter is, and Rock. What's interesting, though, is that Shelter Rock is right around the corner from Sandy Hook. No way. So, yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know that initially um, until I moved in there because I have a friend that actually lost his daughter uh, to the events in Sandy Hook. So I ended up being right around the corner. And there's a very heightened sense of awareness around there, around school safety and things concerning those matters. So that was that was interesting. What was the most interesting thing about it? Because you showed up post Sandy Hook, correct? Right, right. So what, so what was and yeah? So you show up post Sandy Hook. Your first principal job around the corner from where several children um, lost their lives. How right. was it interesting? So, definitely everybody's awareness of safety was real high. And parents, you know, that was the kind of school where parents want to come in, they want to know who you are, and, you know, what's your plan to not only move the kids forward academically, but uh, in our day and age, more importantly, how are you going to keep them safe? And that's where I kind of um, uh, made my stand. And uh, the theme that year was moving forward, and I think it was helpful, but you were dealing with teachers that had trauma. Uh, some of the teachers knew people, knew teachers that lost their life in Sandy Hook, and some of the students had, like, family members that went to the school, right. and, you know, it's almost considered a sister school. So the area is, is really aware and, and heightened as far as things of security Almost to the point, like, you know, when you get, like, um, bomb threats or you get, like, the school in lockdown, mm -hmm. like, folks start coming out and just taking out their kids, and it could just be, like, a lockdown drill. You know what I mean? Or it could be something on the other side of town, and, you know, you, you get eight million phone calls. Um, yeah, I'm coming to get my, my, my child, and, you know, really, I couldn't blame them. As a parent, I couldn't blame them, and as an administrator, I couldn't blame them, but I would try to reassure them that I got them. You know, your kids are your kids are going to be okay. And I would tell them that your kids are my kids. You know, I, I inherited whatever the population of the school was at that time. And I'm going to make sure that they all get home safe. I've got two questions based on um, the experience. Um, and one of them is, what's the... Is the what's the community like? Is it a diverse community? Is it, you know... And, and there's a reason for that question. Okay, so the community in Connecticut we're yes. talking about? yes. So that community was very much a diverse population. Mm -hmm. um, just to give you a, a, things in terms of numbers, I had about 550 kids, and half of them were considered um, ELL students, which are uh, basically students that are not um, American. They don't necessarily speak English. So I had a lot of uh, kids uh, that speak Portuguese. I had a lot of kids from Brazil. Uh, Spain, you know, all, all kind of areas like that. I had a mm. couple of kids from Africa, and then I had the general population, which consisted of the majority of white in that school, or the, the second majority, I should say, and actually very few black kids. So it was mostly populated by, like, Portuguese, kids that spoke Portuguese or uh, 
some form of um, the Spanish gotcha. uh, dialect, and mm-hmm. then uh, you had everybody else. All right. So, and my second question is. You allude, you mentioned that you have kids and that all these children would be treated as your own. Uh-huh. When thinking about your kids, were your kids moving around with you as you've moved from um, Long Island to Connecticut to Virginia now that you're there 14 years? The question is, were your kids uh, assimilated into the schools that you were working in or, their, or their, does their age vary so much so that you would not be the principal of a school that they'd be in? Yeah, so when we moved to Virginia, my kids were little, and I happened to be a teacher at the school that they went to. Uh Um, And so my kids, they claim New York, but they don't know nothing about New York. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't from nothing. Boy, you was born in Queens. You don't know nothing about So all they really know is Virginia. But when we did move, when I did move to Connecticut, which was last year, I did take them because I um, had it in my head that I was going to go back home. And Danbury was like an hour away from the city. Uh And, you know, we would have been rocking and rolling. But the difference was kind of significant from them. My kids, the two older ones are in high school. Okay. And the baby is in middle school. Gotcha. Got it. And just really quickly, and it's. You have it sounds like you have three children and was it two boys and a girl or two girls and a boy? It's one boy, two girls. Okay. The boy is the youngest? He's the oldest. He's the oldest. He's senior now. Okay. Okay. And and what did you take from your experience as a principal at Danbury? I'm sorry, I got my One second. I got a, I got a question before that. So with the experience that took place in the school not too far from where you we're now the newest principal. The amount of time you spent there was how long? I spent one year in Danbury. Okay, so that one year in Danbury. Mm-hmm. Um, did you inherit a struggling school? I inherited a situation. I don't know if it was um, necessarily because of the effects of that, although I'm, I'm sure some of that played into it. But the reality of it is that um, schools today... Um, I often call them a reality show. So, you you know, you've seen the ratchetness that's on uh, some of the channels with regards to, you know, reality shows. Schools all have their kind of different challenges. So uh-huh. I can't necessarily say that it was because of what occurred. They did have some challenges academically that I had to move them forward uh, from, and we did. Um student achievement-wise, and just holistically the child um, bringing the school to a healthy state to where kids want it to be in school. Mm-hmm. Teachers love coming to work. So losing you was was a blow to that um, community? Um, I'd like to say so. My, my uh, superintendent didn't want me to leave. and um, Did the teachers um, and the students not want you to leave? Nope, they didn't want me to leave either, but... That's fantastic that you were able to turn around and exact that kind of change. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely blessed, and I was always transparent with my teachers um, because my intent was to stay there. Uh, Right. I was good, but, you know, um, there comes a point in any administrator's life, I would think, that you kind of almost lose focus of your own family because you're focused so much on everybody else's kids. And, um, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I was that, and it was funny. And I was actually one of my questions for later on. But what was the change? You know, what was your day like? How many hours did you see your children 
on like a regular school day throughout the year, like like on a well, Monday. Well, you can imagine it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't much because I, I, you know, the average school day was like from eight to three. Um, excuse me, and then you know the administrators' work is kind of not done. So on the mm-hmm. average, I probably left anywhere between five and six. So and you were eight to six, eight to six kind of day. Yeah. That's pretty much it on the regular, and, you know, I always was, was checking on the family, trying to make them feel comfortable, until I saw just, like, emotionally and mentally, you know, I think every father knows or should know their child, and you get that look in their face where they're like, yeah, Dad, I'm doing it, but behind the eyes, it's like, you're really killing me right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you know, let me let me take care of my family and I struggled with that, to be honest. I remember talking to my supervisor often saying, I'm, I'm so conflicted. And he was a great guy. He would tell me, why? You have to take care of your family. And I get that 100% because I've always taken care of my family. But when you inherit these other kids, they really become your kids, I think, if administration is done the right way. Right. You really look at them in a sense of they are your kids. And yeah. you got to take care of these babies. And right. That's and that, how I approached it. Right. And that's really the question I really wanted to ask was, how does, it, how does it work, you being a daddy for your real children and being a daddy to the, to the student body? I, I mean, know, it sounds yeah. like you brought a lot. You might have brought a lot of uh, your day work home. And that experience was still happening, even though you were in, you know, putting the baby to bed. Or, you know, I don't know if you were working with your other kids and their, you know, their hum- their homework or whatever they may uh-huh. be struggling with, but you still have, you know, 500 kids coming home with you every single night. Yeah, they, you know, they're always on your mind, and I tried to finish the majority of my work at work, so when I came home, I could just kind of cool out with the family, but, you know, you, then you become tired, you, you, you eat, you kind of sit around. Yeah. Nod out, and before you know it, TV's looking at you. You know, you're waking up and you know, <laughs> you're doing it all over again. So mentally, for me, that was tough because me and my family are extremely close. And I think, like, um, when they went back, I was still up in Connecticut. I would try to come back every two weekends, you know, to see my my mm-hmm. own kids. So um, that was challenging. And I think, you know, the good thing about that, or one of the good things about my experiences is the fact that my kids have been around me when they were in school. So I did have that luxury of seeing them every step of the way. I mean, they can come to my classroom and say, hi, dad, or something was wrong. Teacher could tap me on the shoulder. I was able to have my summers with the kids mm-hmm. for a certain extent. So I really built that family unit. But yeah, it's, it's very taxing on the mind when you're an administrator. You're, you're always thinking about my other kids. You know what I mean? Did you get any calls from any uh, other administrators or any parents about your other kids? Like, I'm just wondering, because I, I think it was yeah. Dr. Stephen Perry. He he wrote a book, and he mentioned that, you know, it was very taxing on him. And there was times where he would get calls from parents about a student, yeah. and he would then end up leaving his house to go help the student. Um, yeah. Did that ever happen to you? No, I, I've just had a couple of late nights, like... Uh, I get a lot of emails, and that's mostly how a lot of things transpire. So I'm literally up like 3 in the morning checking emails to see if I missed anything with regards mm-hmm. to a student. We did have a situation where 
um, a school bus uh, window got shot in and wow. ended up being with a BB gun. But you can imagine in that area, and Sandy Hook just happened not too far away from there, oh, how the community was... Yeah, I can imagine that. Was anybody hurt and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, that, that, that was a sleepless night for me, thinking about what do I need to do tomorrow when I go in? What do I say to the staff? Do I address the kids? Do I not address the kids? So on and so forth. So that's always on your mind. So the schools that you tend to be in are elementary? Um, initially. Now I'm in the middle school. And I, when I first started, uh, the first four years of my life was in middle school. So, like, um, when we moved to Virginia, I was in Norfolk. And true story, um, you know, you develop relationships with kids. So this kid pulls up next to me in the parking lot. It's like, hey, whose car are you driving? And the kid starts smiling. And you hear the cops driving up <laughs> right after him. Wow. wow. Dude stole a car and was like, yo, Mr. G, call my mom. Tell her come get me. You know, so. Wow. Um, wow. That was my story. <laughs> that, was my, that was my response. Wow. <laughs> so now you're in Virginia. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, is Virginia... Because we'll reflect back on Danbury and then on your own childhood <clears throat> in the Long Island, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. You never lived in the Bronx, so oh. you really don't know what it is. You know? You know what I'm saying? You talk a real reckless. You know, <laughs> BX is not the only... Brooklyn, bro. No, Brooklyn. no, right. no. Brooklyn. You, 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 not, you, you who's, man, who's your man. favorite rapper? Karis One, right? So no, Karis One no, says, no, I never said that. you know, Manhattan never keeps on that. faking it, never, Queens, you know, all that, that shit. Never you understand? Okay. Who's my number one? Uh, it's two. It's two the God, the God, the God, Rakim and Biggie Small. Okay, okay, okay. None of those okay. from the Bronx. Okay, okay. I'm okay. sorry. See what I mean? This is what I got to deal with, Doctor Gibson. I always got to deal with this guy and his Bronx shoutouts at times. You know what I mean? You've been everywhere except the Bronx. I get it. You know what I'm saying? The birth of hip hop. This guy always <laughs> talking about Scorpio and Melly Mel. Broken glass everywhere. People pissing on the stage. You know they just don't care. <laughs> the real question I have is: um, is, is Virginia? Um, what kind of state is Virginia in terms of gun laws? And we'll bounce back to Danbury in relationship, but I just want to know where you are. What's the gun laws as we start moving into? the conversation that is at hand. It wasn't until I went to Virginia till I really, really knew about guns. Okay. Um, and my first experience was, to that was we pulled up to a 7-Eleven and there was two um, white gentlemen and uh, like an old school Wrangler Jeep with the top off. You, this, this, is, this is when? This is 2005. Okay. You're you're already in an administrative position. Administrative position. Two thousand five. I'm still teaching. Okay, right, fine. Still teaching. that's fine. Understood. Yep. So these guys pull up and they have the Confederate flag on the back of the truck, and there's two shotguns right on the dash. Oh. And so I'm looking at the the dash, but trying not to look too hard just in case something pop off. And you know I'm what like, it is. What? Don't look no man in the eye if you don't want right, no smoke. Right, right, right. That's a, that is true. That's, that's a true a, New York that's thing. That's a yo. New York thing. <laughs> well, I'm like, what in the world? Where am I at? And, like, that was my first exposure, really, to um, 
Virginia and kind of just, you know, how they view guns. There's a lot of hunting up here, and I didn't know anything about hunting. And I still don't know anything about hunting, but, like... Was the family every, in the car? My family was in the car. Mm. Mm. My family was in the car. And what did your oldest son say about that since he's from New York? <laughs> 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 he did not hear. Right, since he's from New York, how did he respond? He'd be like, yo, dad, don't look over there. Or he'd say, daddy, look, they got guns. Now he's very quiet, you know, and, you know, my kids weren't exposed to guns growing up. Yeah, so, like, that's when I realized that it's, like, a different culture here mm-hmm. and strong sense of military in VA. And where I was, I really, the military, I really didn't know about it. There's a lot of bases out there, right? Yeah, a lot of bases, so a lot of people carry, and it's not for you to see it on their hip, or, you know, even in schools, when I got into schools as an administrator, like, kids would come to school, and there'll be big hunting knives in their book bag, like, why why are you bringing a hunting knife? Oh, you know, me and my dad, we went, you know, hunting over the weekend, and, you know, well, I still got to kind of follow school procedure, and it says if it's over a certain size, then you can do X, If it's y, more than four fingers, yeah. you can get locked up. So did you? So when they would come in with those hunting knives, did you just, you know, because of school rules, were you able to say I got to confiscate it from you, or did they? Well, yeah. Go, so okay. the ones that you would find out about, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. The ones that you would find out, and that's only if some somebody said, you know, they come in and say, "Oh, Doctor G, he got a knife on him." Be like, "How you know he got a knife? Because he showed it on the bus, you know." And you go and conduct your your search and. I always treat the kids like my kids. So I tell them, look, I don't do lying too well. So I'm going to give you your opportunity to go ahead and just tell me what I need to know. And then we'll go from there. And then they would say, yeah, I do. Uh, we went hunting over the weekend. And then you have to break out the ruler. You got to measure it. You got to let your school police four, off. Anything oh. more than four fingers wow. gets you locked up. I, 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 I got locked up in New York because carrying my work knife. Wow. They're, like, they're like, this is more than four fingers, and it's weighted. Anyhow, um, <laughs> you find out that there's a gun culture because there's a lot of military mm-hmm. in the Virginia area. Um, yeah, and a lot of hunting. And a lot of hunting. I just want to know who, who they hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I want to know. What are they hunting? Who and what? For me, that was a new experience. Even now, as I got to know some of the parents, and they would start talking about hunting, and I'd just be like, man, I don't know what y'all talking about. Like, Did it, did you know it make I mean? you feel, I'm sorry to interject, but did it make you feel like you needed to get get a gun? Yeah, it did kind of make me feel like if something pops off, again, I got five people I got to look out for. What am I going to do? You wow. know, and I could throw my hands like the best of them, but I can't beat a bullet. You know what I mean? Oh, so, for sure. Mm. Sounds like, you know, and I hate to say this, it sounds like my brother, who is actually a licensed gun owner, and his mm-hmm. mentality is, you know, he thinks the zombie apocalypse or the, the uh, racial apocalypse is coming, so mm-hmm. arm yourself. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I asked that question to you and how that made you feel. Well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's scary because you can, you can see that despite how you feel because of the racial divide that's going on from the top down, you can really see something like that jump off. And Mm. down here, people, they had pounds of ammo. (laughs) Like, it's amazing. 
It's not, amazing. Not, not a couple. Not a couple of bullets. Not a couple of shells. Yeah, those are no. those. Those are measured in OZs. <laughs> he just said LBs. If you're not sure, Lord have mercy. Wow. So, um, really quickly, just to go back to Danbury, what did you take from Danbury as a principal there to Virginia? Did you bring any of that stuff, and what did you add? What did you change yeah. to this situation? Absolutely. 1,000% I'm under the belief that if the culture of the building is healthy, then good things will happen. And sometimes there's so much focus from the school standpoint on instruction, instruction, instruction. How are you going to teach math? How are you going to teach English? How are you going to teach social studies? How are you going to teach science? And what I'm saying is if they beating up each other in the back of the classroom, or if stuff is jumping off where teachers are fighting in the hall, ain't nothing getting taught. So we need to focus on school culture, which is going to help us advance student achievement. And that's what I brought back from Danbury, focusing on the culture to creating a, an environment where people feel safe. And then once they feel safe and they know you're not out to get them and they know that they're going to be okay, then they can move on and do what they need to do as far as what's best for kids. Hmm. So is a um, is Virginia a license and carry state? What is the yeah. protocol what is the protocol for um, uh, open carry? So I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot about the laws because right. I'm still not really um, fully educated in, in the area of gun law and gun licenses. I do want to pursue one. Um, so you want to get again now? I do, but I have to walk a fine line, and that's not to say whether or not I have protection in my household or not. That's a different conversation. You, but you, you know, it's, it's, it's a biggie. You know, it's a biggie right. lyric. It's a biggie. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. what you think all the guns is for. All-purpose <laughs> war. <laughs> what you think all the guns is for? They're not about you know. I know that you don't want to walk around with them, and the reason why I'm asking that is because it's going to lead into our next question, which is what was being suggested by the overall administration, which was we should give guns to teachers so that they have protection on them in the instant instance that this um, this happens, that this happens again. here, right? Not again, but wherever there is. Is there police in your school? So in the middle school level, we do have a police officer assigned to us that has um, an active body cam okay. and base. And I he's an actual police officer, so he does have his, his uh, gun on him, absolutely. Okay, as, far as, um, as far as if I think that teachers should carry, um, I'd say no. And... Um, I think I have good reasons for it. I'd like to know what your reason would be. I think <laughs> your reason is what my reason would be, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, so the first thing is that, and I apologize for the noise. Uh, no, 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 please, please, please. About please. Okay. You're doing us a favor uh, when you're on your way. We appreciate you here at the Dataholics. So the, the first thing that I would say to people that want to uh, give teachers the ability to carry weapons in school and guns is bad as that um, you have to know the mental state of teachers um, that's first and foremost mm -hmm. now, going back remember I said school is a reality show right. that wasn't just for students some of our teachers um, just quite frankly they have some concerns that <laughs> that I'm concerned about more so than a 
than a student. Like you would expect an a student um, to a certain degree to act crazy because that's what kids do. You know, like when they come out, they come out with a little tag that just says license to be crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you would expect an adult to have common sense and be able to handle situations and conduct certain situations that way. And that's not the case. The truth of the matter is, is that statistically the amount of teachers that have mental concerns has grown tremendously. Hmm. There is over a 20% rise in teachers that take medication every day. God, the pressure! I can't take it! I mean, just think about all of the opiates or, you know, the uppers and downers that exist from Absolutely. a, um, what do you call it? From that are that are given to you by your doctor that are mm -hmm. prescribed. Mm -hmm. So you know you got you know you got the kids that are figuring out you know the basic four you know coke heroin crack and weed and now you got the t teachers on the same shit but it's been prescribed by the doctor. <laughs> so that shit is that shit is, is a little more powerful and it it's a it's a lot and, more powerful and it just shows who they are. It does show who they are, and this gentleman right now is telling us that we need to be worried about these teachers having breakdowns and giving them a gun See, this is, this in is, front of in front of you know thirty five children. I, I, I Sounds agree. kind of fucking I wild. Agree. Like, don't I do agree. that. If you find yourself with a teacher who is in fear of the students, any sort of spitball or sort of, you know, insubordination in the classroom gives mm -hmm. me, it's on automatically, it, it goes, it they, go, I, I got a gun on me, so it, you should sit the fuck down or you could get shot. It, <laughs> and it goes back to doc, what Dr. Gibson said. If the culture and the environment is like that and you put them in that situation, people are going to react. Mike, good morning. Mike, Mike Mason, I need you to be quiet. Are you going to be quiet when you know that they got a gun in their fucking pocket? You, you, you're you, going to shut the fuck up. But you're not going to learn. You're not going to learn shit. You're not going to learn. I'm going to feel that you're a bully. I'm, I'm, I'm nervous I'm all like, day. I don't, I don't, you know what? And if I'm, especially, I'm going to talk about it. If I'm in high school, I'm cutting class. Fuck you. I'll come late. <laughs> come late again. Keep coming late. I, fuck it. You I'll go to the guidance counselor and be like, yo, I can't, I can't. You can't leave. Why? I you can't, can't learn because you, you got a gun on them? I don't feel comfortable. I can't operate in them situations. Because you got a gun on them? Yes. Why are you nervous? Because I don't know who this motherfucker. So it's about him. He's, he's, he's making sure that depending that somebody walking in. I don't know him. I understand. When I leave school, I don't say, I don't know him. I don't know what the fuck his life is. <laughs> I don't know what train he takes. I don't know none of that shit. So you, you, would, so the you would like your teacher to not have a gun? Hell no, they don't need a gun. I, do you feel safer? No. I'm, I, I'm, I agree. Absolutely not. I agree. That's a, to me, that's just an open door for more random gunfire. But you know, no one yeah. has even taken into account the response. And that's really what we've been dealing with, right? right. So let's say you arm a teacher yes. for whatever reason. The student feels intimidated by the teacher, what have you. He has a bad day. Student goes home and makes up in his mind. This teacher may shoot me one day. I'm going to go get her and whoever else is, is, is in that room first or they get me. You know what I mean? So it's too much teaching that has to be done first in training before we can even believe to do that. We, we still got problems seeing kids as, uh, as far as being racially um, educated. We still have issues with that because the majority of 88% of the public school teachers are white females. Right. So you know, when you talk about disproportionality and, and suspending kids, 
most of that is a misunderstanding of what things mean and how things are. So you arm somebody now, and just because they're not aware that black people just normally talk loud, you think they popping off and just getting, you know, you know, upset with See, you. See, because you would have you would have just got shot because oh, you because you would be because you were loud and popping off just now. Exactly. He's, he was throwing that at me. I get you, Doctor Gibson. I understand how you was doing. That. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but back in the days, I also was smart enough to know if I see somebody with a gun, I'm going to shut the fuck up. Right. Because I don't right. want no problems. Right. But I am going to go to the principal and be like, I'm, I'm going to Dr. Gibson. I'm going to be like, Dr. Gibson, you're going to have to figure something out because I don't feel comfortable in that class. Now, we're going to flip the whole thing. The teacher, and this is my, the, the, his statement of their teachers have more mental instability than the students coming from these poor or disenfranchised situations. Right. You know, black, white, indifferent. Right. Right. They're, they being, you know, tasked with educating your children and mm -hmm. then now, in addition to that, potentially protecting them, protecting them mm -hmm. in an instance that we, because we are always late to the party. You don't go ahead and give teachers guns after students got killed by other students. That's not the problem. You understand what I'm saying? I, I get it. No, the, I get the, the problem is not the fact that that shit happened it, over there. And they put a band-aid on it. And, and put it a band-aid by on a, a big scar. <laughs> you, you, got, you have to educate yourself on the environment that you're in. And then realize that you can see. They have to be taught how to identify what's 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 hurting in a room full of 35 that are cycling through depending on what grade you're, set, what grade you're in. Or, but, yeah. You know, 35 cycle through 12 periods in a day, 10 periods in a day. Like, you know how many kids I've seen already? And, right. I, and I can't really pick out trench coat. I was like, I keep missing trench coat, and I missed him the last time, and I missed him this time. We got to talk to trench coat. And then all of a sudden, you just take too long to talk to trench coat, and then trench coat shows up with the mafia, and we fucked up. That's why I always kind of think of like, when you look at your child, right? You look at your child as they're growing up, they are going to be crazy because they're still trying to find themselves, and they are going based on what they see, what they see from their friends, what they see on TV. You know, so they go to school and they go to school with this trying to find their independence and going. They got all this extra stress and all this shit that they're trying to find independence while seeking camaraderie and and, and seeking knowledge. Not, yeah, think about it, but they're not seeking knowledge. Why you say that? I think the nature of a kid, though, is to seek what they don't understand. Sure. Although they are being told to go to school, they still are seeking and, and learning knowledge. And I think we fail to forget that everywhere and every place and every experience is teaching a kid something. For sure. Period. Mm -hmm. For Period. sure. So that's right. how come you can have... And that right there is the beginning steps of what you as a principal, I can only imagine, have to hammer home because you've said it twice now. None of these children that you've experienced are dumb. Yeah. All of them are intelligent individuals who's, um, who you are trying to access. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's more of a social education mm. now almost as equal to, if not more in some cases, than straight academia. For sure. You know? mm. 
You had to teach yeah. kids how to respond. Like when you and I were young, we were out in the streets so much. We learned, like you said, you see somebody with a gun, you learn how to shut up. You learned I just how got, to yeah, yeah. You learn how to survive. That's yeah. Right. But now because of the kind of interaction that they don't have, everything is electronic exactly. for the most part. So socially, when they actually physically come in contact with somebody and have something that they don't they've never encountered, a feeling of rejection or a feeling of something else, they have no idea how to do that. So what do they do? They go home and just go get the gun and or rude. Because the key is language arts. You know how you know it's lost in translation when you're right. reading when you're reading mm-hmm. text. You right. don't hear the cadence. You don't hear the infliction. Mm-hmm. You don't understand whether this is threatening or if it right. was just a joke. That translates into this non-social environment that the kids live in now. And it's funny as you guys talk about the social and the texting. It's funny how it's even changed from the time when texting just started, right? Now, motherfuckers that say cool, they put up fucking fists and they put up fucking emojis. It's like, what does that mean? And it'd be like a million fists and a fucking peace sign and, 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 and fucking fireworks. You'd be like, what does that mean? Oh, it means I'm cool with that. Fucking, I'm cool with would have just been cool. It's only four letters. It's, it's really not letters. that many. You gave, me, you gave me 18 fucking emojis and just... So imagine if you can't do that in person, and then you don't you don't even have the skill set or the experience to understand how to do that in text. Mm-hmm. And when I say text, I'm not talking about texting, but in text as right, right, as a written language. Right. These things which are basic mm-hmm. are are the are the necessary tools in order to be able to get past that moment where someone has a gun. Just your statement, just your presence, just your your facial. Like people don't right. even understand what all the, all you're saying so much. Your right. body language is a leader in communication. You, yeah, you you're basic. Saying, but once again, you're saying things basic for for our generation. I think it's basic for every generation. No, well, it's basic. It's supposed to be basic for every generation. It's not mm. now because body language and all that stuff is not really seen because you're not interacting with people like that. That's right. That's you just right. not. You just said it yourself. You're not. Yeah. You know, my my oldest is like, you know, he. He's still trying to learn how to text a girl. I'm like, yo, just say, how are you? I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say, daddy. I'm like, ask her how she's doing. Oh, uh, Jesus Christ, boy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I want to ask really more for your oldest because your oldest probably has seen the generation shift. Right? He's closer. Born in 2099. He saw, he saw the phone show up. Correct. So he saw the, the, the introduction of the Blackberry to watching everything. On TV and your whole world is everything is on the phone. It sounds like Dr. Gibson just gave his ass a phone probably four years ago. Dr. Gibson? (laughs) (laughs) I probably gave him his first phone in ninth grade. Yeah, Four years ago. That was a fight. I mean, because all his other friends had it. They all had cell phones and all of that. Johnny got a phone, daddy. How come I can't have one? That's right. But for me, you know, it was more or less... I'm not going to give you $400 because you don't even know what that means. You know what I mean? You, you, wow. You're talking about the stuff we're always talking about, <laughs> Dr. Gibson. You're, ta- you, you're a father. He said, <laughs> you're you a father. <laughs> you don't even know what $400 means. The, the, the beauty of this conversation right now is well, I'm having this discussion with um, a doctor who has children, who has inherited thousands of children that have passed through 
your doors that you had to be responsible for as the principal. And yeah. having that influence over those thousands and your specific three is mm-hmm. is a challenge. And the and, and your experiences that you've had thus far from you know growing up in every other mm-hmm. borough except for the Bronx and then moving all the way out to Virginia. <laughs> And coming going all the way out to Virginia, where your experience alongside of your children, simultaneously, all of y'all saw your first gun and a hazard flag all at the same time. And it's like, am I doing the right thing? All these moments have mm-hmm. been shaping the future that you're walking into now, which is affecting these young minds. Pretty powerful statement. Yeah, you know, we, we can only uh, affect other people based on how we've been affected, good or bad. Yeah, right. Absolutely. That's just, that's just it. So, you know, my experiences of growing up poor and not any money, like I didn't really know I was poor growing up. I just assumed everybody went and borrowed eggs from the next door neighbor or like right. pieces of bread. I just assumed everybody did that until I was able to get exposure and see everybody is not living that way. So I took all of those experiences and I can relate to a lot of kids that are living in areas where maybe um, there may be some challenges because of lack of money or lack of jobs or whatever the case may be. I can relate to these kids and I really feel like I could do some some good. I could speak their language on a certain level mm-hmm. and, and I can still uh, relate to them and guide them to where they need to go to kind of find their own truth, you know? Right. Um, but I think in this day and age, kids are very smarter. My grandmother had a saying that she would say that this generation is weaker and wiser. She would always say that growing up. Mm. And I I didn't really get it until I got older, you know. So they are a lot wiser. Technology wise, Mm -hmm. give them any piece of technology, they figure that sucker out. They know how to work the apps, all of that kind of stuff. But you think about weaker in terms of how many more kids now are on medication for whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know, how many kids are getting allergy shots and all of that kind of stuff. You know, when I was growing up, there might've been one kid in elementary school that had asthma, maybe two. Mm-hmm. Now you got like, like right. 40% of the kids got some kind of inhaling they got to go and take, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's all about relating to them where they are relating to the parents where they are. And you're really teaching the whole child socially, um, and academics wise, um, that's, that's, that is the job. That's what it is in this day and age. Mm. Mm. So I remember you mentioned that, um, <clears throat> that, uh, when you were a teacher, uh, I guess one of your children or two, both of your children, one of your children, uh, went to the school that you went, you know, they were at the same school that you were teaching at. Um, yeah, too. So how was that experience? So my kids were in elementary school, Okay. Uh, and my son was always a grade higher than my daughter. So initially, I didn't know how it was. It kind of bothered me because, you know, if if somebody was going to respond to my kid negatively, how was I going to handle that? And I didn't want my kids to be running to me every single thing. So I would prep them in the house. If there's a problem, of course, you come and let me know. Otherwise, I expect you to take care of business and I'm going to come and check my teacher and yada, yada, yada. So... My kids, um, I was blessed. They liked it. And to me, it was weird because I would have hated it growing up. I just know how I am. Well, the thing about it is you, the, the, the village participated. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There is no village right now. Right. It's the village is splintered. Now we, you know, we we we're further apart. There's more woods, woodlands behind the house, so that you're not that close to your neighbor. There's no need for you to run into them. Right. You're not sharing anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 need to socialize or participate in the block watch or you know just even just go outside and play. Eh. And that's why I always think, and I go back to Dr. Gibson, it's probably even harder for principals and teachers because even in that era that we were growing up, it was like, if our parents got a call from the principal, our asses were in trouble, regardless of whatever it was. Right. Whether we were right or wrong, we were in trouble. Now, yeah. you see it. Like, teachers and parents who come to the teachers and principal be like, don't be talking to my son like this, bro. Don't be talking to my child like that, blah, 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 blah. And they, and they blame the school. Part yeah. Of, part of the issue is that the teacher that's teaching that student also taught that parent. <laughs> so it's like, oh, look at you, still fucking with my life. I'm telling you, know, let me give it, let me keep it a buck fifty. Like that's that's the moment where you're like, oh, you Charlene's daughter, right? You Charlene's so little girl. The I seen like that was I had a grandmother who brought a, a boy in the school. Boy had to be maybe fourth grade. And the boy was cutting up. And the grandmother, her and I, was was talking and just greetings. And then we started talking about the young man. And the grandmother started talking about him. And the boy physically got up out of his seat and was pushing his grandmother's mouth closed, talking, to, no, 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 be quiet. No, 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 be quiet. And the grandmother kept talking and she was moving his hand. So I got to the point where I said, hey, sit down. And sit back. It just came out. I couldn't stop. I, I hear there. you. Applaud <laughs> <laughs> this man. Thank God. Somebody did something. I, 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 you know what? I, 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 you know what? Sit your ass down. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's just the world we live in. Because And you have to think, that's what they see. These kids see that on social media. They see that on TV now. Like They see that shit. When we was growing up, we didn't see that shit. Yeah, because you didn't see it regardless. You didn't see it. It wasn't on TV. Right. Like, that shit didn't happen. Well, the, the inability to discipline in a... So, discipline does not always require striking. But mm. there needs to be consequence. And the lack of consequence happens to be the reason why a lot of these children are outside of their own realm. The other thing is... If the parent doesn't know how to control themselves, then the child will never know how to control themselves. Well, that's because true. you can only uh, you own part of the education of a child is from what they see, see from that, that's closest. Correct. To them. Correct. You know, and if yeah. that you know, and if if that four year old's mother tells her mother, "Shut the fuck up," then you think that the four year old sees or knows differently. No, he, he's going to test that boundary. Like you said, parents teach kids how to behave. I clearly remember several times when adults came over the house and my father would walk in the room and he'd say, all right, it's time for you to go. <laughs> you know, right. or excuse yourself. Yeah, grown folks you, talking. You automatically know. You automatically knew. Like your parents wasn't sharing information with me about what was going on. You know what I mean? Like. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I thought tuna fish on a Friday meant it was a party. I didn't know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel so, you. Yeah, you just you just didn't know. So there is no kind of training like that going on everywhere. Now, some places it is. Okay. Some places it is. And you will get some parents that say, 
All you got to do is call me and I'll be up here. And, you know, you're thankful for those parents. Right. But you do have the other ones that kind of come flying up to the school on a three-legged horse. They'll call the police and have the police meet them there at the school and the police don't even know why they're there. Wait. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, wait, and then wait, the mother will say, yeah, I called you up here because I'm getting ready to go. Okay. I'm getting I'm ready to what? Say that I'm part. I'm getting ready to go off and I don't want them to call the cops on me, so I call the cops on them first. Yeah. Wow. Wait a minute, but think about it, you, you're approaching, that's such a backwards management style when you're trying to, when when all that the school is supposed to do is educate your child. Yeah. Yeah. You put yeah. it on me now. Now, now I'm the enemy of the state because we called you up here to participate in the rearing of, of your, your child. child. Yeah. And but, I but that's not you. how they think of it. Most parents think this way. When they drop your kid off, it's the teacher and the principal and that school's responsibility to educate, raise, and take care of my kid. And then when they Can get I home, tell, what the fuck are you supposed to do? That's Can I when, just tell you guys that that is probably the most, um, the most disheartening statement that I have heard several times. And I've heard, I've heard the parents say it in front of the kids. Listen, when I drop him off, He's your problem. Don't call me. Don't ask me to come and get him. I sent him to school for education. He's your problem. And you're looking at the kid, and the kid is kind of like bowing his head down in shame. The kid knows very clearly what mom means, and the kid knows what mom does at home when he's gone. You know what I mean? So um, that's a a horrible statement to say in front of a kid. And what I tell parents is... um, you know, kids have to hear our voice. I said, gone are the days where people can beat other people's kids. You can't even beat your own kids now. Right. So, <laughs> so, so we need them to, to, to help us out. Otherwise, um, there's nothing that we can do at, at the school level to a certain degree. So, Dr. Gibson, mm-hmm. you've got three. Share with us your ability to parent these youngsters growing up in this day and age. You know, this, I can only say this is the gospel according to Gibson. Okay. And I tried to run my house how my house was ran growing up. So in the earlier stages, in the younger stages, I was probably considered really strict on them. And as they grew older, I was able to get, you know, ease my, my foot off the gas because they had an understanding and they knew where I stood as their parent what I would accept and what I wouldn't accept. So now my two high schoolers, knock on wood, thank God, and all of that kind of stuff, they haven't given me any problems because I believe what I put down in them is there. And they know really what respect is. I mean, I've had conversations in all transparency with my son. Um, when he's had problems with his mom, I'm the one that jumped in there and said, yo, I had to tell him straight up, that's my girl. You mouth off at her one more time and we're going to have a problem. Because you teach him how to respect his mother. Exactly. You know what I mean? So I need him to know that. Like, that's my girl. I know that's your mama, but she was my girl first. Even with my daughters, the same thing. Y'all better fall back. I've had times when I've jumped straight out of a dead sleep because I've heard the way he was talking. <laughs> I'm talking. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Snoring. I mean, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> A dead sleep, and my kids will tell you, don't mess, don't mess with dad when he sleeps because he's he's a light sleeper and he hears everything. Hears everything. Then the whole social aspect 
I've trained them. So I've, I've, I've had those interviews with them, those mock interviews. Mm. Hey, look at me in the eye. Right. You go interview, you shake somebody's hand. You know, you don't let people look down to you, but you, you treat them with respect and you command respect. So mm-hmm. you got to put that in them. And I wish that everybody could have an experience similar to that, but that is not everyone's reality. And it doesn't make people bad people. No. It just means for the education system, um, you know, we're plagued with so many challenges in education. America is the only education system that educates everybody. Everybody. Where in other countries... At a certain age, they decide if you're dumb, you're not going to go any further in education. Well, and if you're, you're in a factory already, you're done. Then they let you. Absolutely. The cutoff age is usually somewhere around 13. They actually have a test that you take. So when you get the, the, the country report cards of how they're doing, you got to keep that in mind, too. United it's States only based on you know, the yes. percentage of 13-year-olds that have moved on into their next form. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So. Mm. Um, that's big. That's, I, didn't know that. I did not know that. Children mm-hmm. without structure are that's a pile right. of bricks. It's just like a pile of bricks. Children mm-hmm. with structures can be pillars of society. This is a fact. Correct. And, and in that same vein, if you take unstructured kids and put them in a school that has an unstructured environment, you got a bomb on your head. You know what? That sounds like a way, you know the perfect segue into. So, uh, <laughs> Dr. Gibson, we got a, a game that we want to play with you. It's called "It's the Principle of the Matter." It's the principle of the whole thing. It's principalities in this. Um, we're going to ask you some questions, uh, pretty much one-word questions, and you're going to let us know if you act as the principal when this is really with your kids, your interaction with your kids. You're going to t- me, let me let us know. If you are the principal, meaning you are really, you talk to them, you have a deep conversation with them, or is it the principal of the matter, meaning you're the dad and you get up and you say, because I say so. <laughs> okay. So we're going to, you know, I'm going to give you a little quick test, right? So I'm going to say homework. Are you the? I'm the dad. It's the principal of the whole thing. It's the principal. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Chores. I'm the dad. It's the principal of the whole thing. All right, here we go. Now I'm gonna say the word fuck. This is what your child says. You hear your child say fuck. <laughs> I'm I'm the daddy. I gotta <laughs> jump in other mode right there. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say if you heard them say that? Not even to your not to your not to your your wife or and just you just heard them say that. I'd say, what did you say? <laughs> got you, got you. All right. And this probably goes back to when you were a teacher, so I'm going to say it. Uh, they come home and they say, Daddy, someone called me a nigger at school. Bueller. Bueller. Mm. Crickets. <laughs> Every single time we ask the same question, crickets. <laughs> hmm, that's an interesting one. Go for it. Please, give me and everything. If you have any stories on Please. it. Please. I do have stories, but I don't have a lot more time. I guess I'll tell you the story and then we go. My youngest daughter in Virginia went to a private school that I won't name. Mm -hmm. On the book list, um, there was a book called, oh man, something about a coon. Uh, I can't think of it, but it was on the approved 
book list. It'll come to me in a second. Uh-huh. And my daughter came home. She's in first grade. And she said, I don't like my color of my skin. Oh, and that sent skyrockets through my brain because we as a people, if you are a person of, of color, have been indoctrinated that to look dark is bad. And so mm-hmm. my girls are brown. They're not even dark. I'm dark. They're brown. And I've always instilled in my girls that they're gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And so based off of that, I've been re-indoctrinating my daughter ever since then um, with the color of skin. Got it. I, you know, appreciate the, the response and um, keep telling those young ladies that they are beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, your son comes home and says, Daddy, I got somebody pregnant. Bueller. What are you doing? Is it the principal? You said, "What are we doing here? What are we doing here? <laughs> Is it the principal of the matter, or are you the principal?" Uh, not. I gotta be dad. <laughs> I gotta. I gotta be dad in that case. And what is dad? <laughs> and what is dad doing? <laughs> Probably somewhere secretly crying. But you know, I gotta have the conversation with him. I, I talked to my son straight up. He's about to be eighteen years old. So uh, when I was young. Uh, true story. My father, a, 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 a man of the streets, pretty much. He he talked. He had the, the the talk with me, birds and the bees. I was like fourteen, which was like fourteen years too late. But he had to talk with me <laughs> anyway. He was like, you know, I'm going to tell you the street name, and I'm going to tell you the correct name. That was the most awkward conversation I ever had. <laughs> I had the same conversation with my son. It wasn't right. I was about to say, did you have that conversation? And was it awkward? <laughs> It, it it wasn't awkward for me. It was awkward for him. He was like covering his ears and stuff. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Lord have mercy. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, Doctor Deepson, I I noticed that you said that you were, you know um, that your your time was running short. Do you have any last pieces of information that you'd like to provide us and listeners? I think you just be um, open and and honest with kids. And when I say that. You have to determine the level um, of openness and honestness that you're going to have with the kid based on their age. Mm-hmm. And as it relates to in school, um, you have to be appropriate and, and just know that kids don't learn from people they don't like. And gone are the days when you could say, you do it because I said it, or you don't do what I do, you do what I say do. Gone are those days because we're dealing with an intelligent group of young men and women. So we really, really have to educate. You have to really break it down for them because that's what YouTube is doing and that's what Snapchat is doing and IG. All of them are giving an education. So we have to really take that time to develop those relationships and realize that they're kids, no matter how big they are or how stupid the mistake they're kids, and they all are capable. You know, the, the, the esteem level of some of these kids will just break your heart when they come in because they already know. And then you see the parents, and you understand why the kid is like how the kid is. Mm. So um, I would challenge everybody to really spend time with these kids, really getting to know them. Even parents, I've had the conversations with them. Uh, and they'll tell me, I know my child. Oh, really? Do you know your child did this? No, he didn't. And then when a child tells the truth, 
in front of me, they start crying and they go to tears and I didn't know you did that and so on and so forth. What makes them tell me, an outsider, the truth? And you're their parent and they're lying at you, but they'll tell the truth in front of me. So I think that speaks volume. So I think our kids are smart, they're beautiful, they're bright, and the world is their oyster. We just have to find that way, um, that point of motivation, and that's through social um, instruction as well as academic. And that's, that's just me. Well, thank you, Dr. Gibson. We truly appreciate your time. Yes, sir. And the information that you imparted upon us as we raise our children. Um, I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So uh, this is Fu Manchu. This is Mike Mace. With Dataholics. Peace out. Peace. Bueller. Bueller.